Amen. Let's look in the book of Luke, chapter number 2. Luke, chapter number 2. Kind of a little different holiday season this year between Thanksgiving and Christmas. It seems like we're just still digesting our Thanksgiving turkey, and Christmas is like right around the corner. Um, but the, uh, Thanksgiving fell a little bit later in the calendar this year, so short amount of time. we got a lot to do, right? Amen. Luke chapter number 2. We're going to start reading in verse number 7. Luke, actually, let's start reading in verse number 6. Luke chapter 2, verse 6, and so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the word of God. We thank you for the, the clearness and the, uh, Lord, the specificness with which your word just tells us about this glorious event. And Lord, we are just thankful that, uh, Lord, your word never gets old. And Lord, every day that we read your word, Lord, you just show us something new. And Lord, I do pray that you would bless us this morning, Lord. Uh, Lord, help us to uh, be mindful and remember what took place on that night, Lord. And may we never forget it. And may it always be new and fresh in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The hope of Christmas. The hope of Christmas. You know, as we go about this time of the year... Um, I have to put myself in check, so to speak. Um, my, my family will tell you, when, when we get around Christmas time, I am like a little boy, I'm like a little kid. Um, I, I love everything there is about Christmas. Um, I, I, I even like fruitcake, by the way. Um, I, just want, I just want to point that out. I know I'm like the minority, but I even like fruitcake. Um, but I love everything there is to love about Christmas. But I need to keep myself in check because I need to make sure that all the things that I love about Christmas don't take the place of the thing I need to love the most. Christmas is about Jesus Christ. The hope of Christmas is the hope we have in Christ. Um, it's not in presence or food or any of those other things. But it's in Jesus Christ. I looked up some, some uh, a little bit of uh, information about this. And I, I looked up some of the most popular, these aren't any kind of particular order, the most popular Christmas traditions. I thought it's a good place to start. Christmas light shows, uh, Christmas trees, gingerbread houses, Christmas music. Even if you hear the songs about 100 times before December 25th rolls around. <laughs> Christmas cookies. Yes. <laughs> Christmas movies, Christmas cards, spending time with family, Christmas gifts, Christmas clothes or dress. Yes, Christmas ugly Christmas sweaters. Yes, they fall into that category. Um, shockingly, in the top of the list, fruitcake did not make the list. I, 
Don't know where they took this survey, but it wasn't at the top of the list. But all these things are things that most of us, if not all of us, enjoy and we look forward to. Um, it's, it's nice to see that there is a lot of food on this list um, because you, food always puts a smile on your face. Um, but there's another side to that. You know, when I looked at these things, and this was not a Christian survey by any stretch of the imagination, but nowhere on there were the things that really mattered. Now listen, I, I want to be very careful. I, I don't want you to think that I don't enjoy these things. And if you, you know, if you put up a Christmas tree or if you go look at Christmas lights or whatever, you're some kind of a heretic. That's not what I mean at all. I do those things. I enjoy those things. I enjoy spending time with our family doing those things. We love it. But when, you know, sometimes I, I talk to folks and they'll say, man, this time of the year always puts a smile on your face. Why? Because the thing that should put a smile on our face is the fact that a Savior left his throne above to take the form of a tiny baby to seek and to save that which was lost. That's us. That's why Christ came. That's why we should have a smile on our face. And by the way, not between Thanksgiving and Christmas, but 365 days a year. Sometimes we, we, we limit it. And, you know, I, I, I know, listen, I know the feeling. And, you know, every day you come home and there's a different cookie in the oven. And you're like, man, that just puts a smile on my face. And it's exciting. And the Christmas lights and the whole thing. I, I get it. But let's not lose sight of what Christmas and what the hope of Christmas truly is. Looked up some other things. And just to kind of give you a little bit of background on this. They say, now this is just Americans they survey. 55% of Americans celebrate Christmas as a religious holiday. 55. Now, if you take a, a, and I didn't look this up, but last time I had checked, the uh, number of Americans who consider themselves quote-unquote religious is upwards of 80%. Well, of those 80% that consider themselves religious, only 55% of them consider Christmas to be a religious holiday. Well, if Christmas is not a religious holiday, what is it? How can you have Christmas without Christ? 51% of Americans say they plan to attend a service on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. I found this interesting. 66% of Americans believe that Jesus was born to a virgin. Hmm. Now here's a a couple of more statistics. I'm going to go through these pretty quick because I don't want to spend too much time on it. But they broke this down into age groups. Those that were born 1945 or before, between 1946 and 1964, 65 to 80, and then those that were born 1980 and uh, after. How many people consider Christmas to be more of a religious holiday? Of those that were older, 60%. Now, as you move through, by the time you get to those that were born 1980 and after, only 32%. That's people that are 40 years old and younger. Only 32% of them consider Christmas as a religious holiday. That's why we have a problem today. That's why, you know, the the focus has become Black Friday and Cyber Monday. And listen, I I, I like a good deal. I don't like to waste money. So, yes, you you won't catch me out there at 5 in the morning or 6 in the morning. I can promise you that. But I get it. But when that takes the place of what Christmas is about, we've lost sight of what's important. Okay. Um, because there's a short period of time between Thanksgiving and Christmas this year. And, I, and it was, as I was messaged together, I, I found a statistic. The last time that 
Christmas and, and Thanksgiving were this close together. It was back in 2013. And that year, they broke all kinds of records as far as spending is concerned. They anticipated then that they would lose money, but as it turned out, they actually broke all kinds of records. I mean, hundreds of billions of dollars were spent. How many people consider on this survey that Christmas is a cultural holiday? Of those born 1945 or before, 17%, and as you move through, it gets increasingly higher. Those that were born after 1980, 44% consider Christmas a cultural holiday. That means Christ has nothing to do with it. You see the trend that's happening in our country as far as turning away, and it's, and it's not getting better. How many people believe that Jesus was born to a virgin? We taught, touched upon this. Those that are 1945 or before, 78%, then it goes down to 73, 69. Of those born 1980 or after, only 55%. How many believe that the angels were the ones who announced the birth? 81% for the older generations and 54%. This is the, the statistic that I think bothers me the most. Of evangelicals, okay, of evangelicals that say that the reduced emphasis on Christmas bothers them, only 41%. Now listen, it should bother us that the emphasis of Christmas has become cultural, tradition-based, and not Christ-based and Christ-focused. Because without Christ, we have no hope. Without Christ, there is no Christmas. Oh, we can have a holiday and we can do all kinds of things. But Christmas is about the birth of our Savior. People talk often, and some of the, the hymns that we sing talk about peace on earth. That's, that's a good thing to pray for and to hope for. But can I tell you, there is no peace on earth apart from Christ. There is no peace for, the, for, the, for anyone apart from Jesus Christ. Oh, there might be temporary satisfaction. There might be, you know, temporary hope. But everlasting, long-lasting hope comes only through Christ. The hope of Christmas is not in presents or food or movies or any of that, but in the person of Jesus. Bill Crowder said this, the great challenge, I think I have that up there, maybe, yes, the great challenge left to us is to cut through all the glitz and glam of the season that has grown increasingly secular and commercial and be reminded of the beauty of the one who is Christmas. And that's what Christmas is about. It's about the person of Jesus Christ, nothing else. Now listen, all those other things are fine. I, I don't say that any of those things are bad. Like I said, I do most of those things. I enjoy those things. We love watching Christmas movies, you know, year after year. You see them so many times, you could probably recite the words word for word. But let us not forget that the hope, the joy of Christmas is in Christ. So let's look at some of this and how our hope can, how we can, how can we experience this hope, not only at Christmas, but all the time. Number one is the fulfillment of the scriptures, the fulfillment of the scriptures. You know, when Christ was born in that manger, there were so many prophecies in the Old Testament that were fulfilled. People try and say that Christ doesn't exist. He was a good teacher. He was, a, 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 you know, a prophet, this, that, and the other thing. They try and dismiss the fact that he is God. But when you look at all the prophecies, not just Christmas, but all the prophecies that were fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ, 
Now listen, I don't need odds or statistics to prove it to me. I believe it by faith. But they said the odds are so astronomical, they can't even put a number on it. That, the, that one person could fulfill all those prophecies. And by the way, not just in a general sense, but a very specific sense, as we're going to look at in a second. The world is more willing to believe that everything happened from this massive great explosion, everything just fell perfectly into place. Do you know that the odds of that are probably 100,000 times more than all the prophecies being fulfilled in Christ? But yet, people are willing to believe that and not believe that a Savior came to this earth. In the book of Matthew, Matthew uses the phrase, might be fulfilled, ten times. Now, it's used throughout the scriptures, but it is a recurring phrase that, that comes up in the book of Matthew, and it occurs several times specifically when talking about the birth of Christ. First place is in Matthew chapter 1. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 1, verse 22. And while you're turning there, I'm going to read a passage from Isaiah, a passage that many of us are familiar with. I'm sorry, while you're holding your finger there, in Isaiah chapter 7 and in verse number 14, the Bible says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And then over in Matthew chapter number 1, and in verse number 22, Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. The first thing I see is the manner of his birth. The manner of his birth. He would be born of a virgin. Mary was chosen by the Lord, and she conceived. And this was spoken of hundreds of years prior to it happening. Now, people want to explain it away. People want to say, well, it wasn't really a virgin. It was a young lady. Listen, it, when, when, when people are trying to disprove the truth, they will make things up that are just ridiculous. Okay? You know, when, 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 Christ's, when Christ resurrected and they didn't find, when they went to that tomb and that tomb was empty, they found a hundred different ways to try and explain that away that the guards were bribed, that this, that that, the other thing, that they stole his body, all this, all this other foolishness. And that's the way the world worked. That's the way Satan will work. He will try and place a lie over the truth that God has already laid out for us, but we need to know when God says something, it is so end of discussion. We need not to allow ourselves to be deceived by a wicked and corrupt world, okay, by the prince of this world. Because that's what he wants to do is deceive. He can't rob you of your salvation. That's secure. That's sealed. However, however, he can deceive us and cause us to doubt the truths contained in the word of God. And you see that happening all around us today. You see that happening all around us today. So the, the manner of his birth. His name, it says, will be called Emmanuel. Emmanuel, translated, is God with us. Now, that's, that, to me, signifies two things. First, the same phrase, God with us. You know what he's doing? He is affirming his deity. When Jesus came, he was still God. He didn't stop being God. He was 100% man and 100% God. 
You say, well, I don't understand that. Listen, there's a lot of things we don't understand, but you know what? I believe it because God said it. So when he says God with us, he's saying God is with us. That's affirming his deity. But he says God with us, with us. That is God with us or united with us. Jesus came to redeem us. When Adam and Eve sinned in that garden, fellowship was broken. Jesus came to redeem us. That we would have, that that fellowship would be restored. That we, through him, could have that fellowship restored. God with us. United together with God. That's an amazing thought if you think about it. You know what the hope of Christmas is? That as believers, that, that we, we're, we're, we're adopted into the family of God. That we're sons of the living God. The creator of all the universe sent his son to die for us. That's the hope of Christmas. Now listen, like I mentioned to you before, I, I, I'm like a little child. So, you know, I, I, at this point in my life, I don't sneak to the presence and start doing this. But I kind of look at the size and shape. I may lift them for weight. I don't know. It depends. <laughs> the anticipation. Now listen. Do we have that same type of anticipation to meet with God every day? Because we should. You know, every time we open up the word of God, do you know this is God speaking to us? Do we have that same eager anticipation? Man, what does God have for me today? The hope that we have is in Christ. It's not in anything else. His name shall be called Emmanuel. The Bible also tells us about the location of his birth. About the location of his birth. In Micah chapter number 5. Micah chapter number 5, the Bible says in verse 2, But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. And you see this fulfilled in the book of Luke in chapter number 2. Verse number 4, it says, And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea into the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. And then in verse number 11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Way back in the book of Micah, they had already prophesied that he would be born in Bethlehem, Ephrathah. Bethlehem means house of bread. Ephrathah means place of fruitfulness. Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. He would come from the place. Now listen, every one of these prophecies are very, very specific. People try to say, well, you know, that means, it means Bethlehem Ephrathah. But what in, you know, in the Hebrew, no, it means Bethlehem Ephrathah. Don't allow a deceived world to deceive you. When God says something that specific, and hundreds of years later as it comes to, you know it's God. 
Isn't it great when you, when you pray to the Lord and, and cry out to God for something that only you know about and that prayer gets answered in a very specific way, you know what? You know in your heart and you believe with all your heart that that was God. The location of his birth. The next one is a messenger. He talks about the messenger that would prepare the way. In Isaiah chapter 40, just a couple of things, and there's a lot. We're not obviously going to go through them all, but in Isaiah chapter 40 and in verse number 3, the Bible says, The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. This you see in Luke chapter number 3. In Luke chapter number 3, and in verse number 3. In Luke chapter number 3, and in verse number 3. And he came into all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be brought low. And you see, this is exactly what Isaiah said. When people want to deny that Christmas is about Christ or that the reason we celebrate Christmas is because of Jesus Christ, listen, all I know is what the Bible says. All I know is that God already prophesied. He told us in the book of Isaiah, he said, this is what's going to happen. And guess what? It happened in Christ. A messenger would prepare the way for the Messiah. We see the even prophetic announcements about the wicked response of the people. In Hosea chapter 11. In Hosea chapter 11. The Bible says in verse number one, When Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. And if you look over in Matthew chapter two, I know I'm kind of going a little bit quick here, um, but in Matthew chapter two and in verse 15, it says, And was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Every step along the way, God prophesied. We knew about it. In Jeremiah, you could stay in Matthew, over in Jeremiah chapter 31, not a passage of scripture that many of us um, like to read. It's not the most, the happiest time, but in, in Jeremiah 31 in verse 15, it says, Thus saith the Lord, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rahel, weeping for her children, refused to be comforted for her children because they were not. And then over in Matthew chapter 2 and in verse 18, it says, In Ramah was there a voice heard, lamentation and weeping and great mourning, Rachel, I'm sorry, Rachel weeping for her children and would not be comforted because they are not. This is when Herod slaughters all the innocents looking for the Messiah. That was prophesied. And lastly, the Bible tells us that he would be called the Son of God. In Matthew chapter 3, in verses 16 and 17, we see that in Psalm chapter 2 in the Old Testament, in verse 7, it says, I will declare the decree. The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my Son, this day 
have I begotten thee. So he would be called the Son of God. And there are so many more. We don't have time to go through them all. When Jesus Christ was born in that manger, there was fulfillment of the scriptures. If you continue to read through Matthew, that same phrase might be fulfilled. It talks about different aspects and different fulfillments in the life of Jesus Christ. Listen, our hope for Christmas is in our Savior. Our hope, our joy is in Jesus Christ. If our hope and our, and our, and our, um, and our foundation is in anything other than Christ, then it's a fleeting hope. It's a false hope, and it will go away. That's why, the, that's why so many people, you know, they say that this is the time of year when people are most depressed. Why? Because they're searching, and they're searching, and searching, and they're searching in all the wrong places. And then, you know, you have things that sound good, appeal, or, or appear to be good. You know, they appeal to the flesh. And for a short time, they provide temporary relief. But it's never long-lasting. Because the only thing that lasts, the only thing that's eternal is our hope in Christ. Is our hope in Christ. It was a cantata we did years ago, The Hope of Christmas, it was called. Probably four, five, six years ago. And there's a song in there that says, My hope is Jesus. And that is our hope. Our hope is Jesus. Number two, not only the fulfillment of the scriptures, but salvation is come. Salvation is come. They had been looking for a long time for the promised Messiah. And it's kind of an interesting thing, you know, that when he came, his own didn't even receive him. Back over in Luke, chapter number two. It says, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. The first thing you see is the promise of the Savior. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Listen, this promise was, was began back in the book of Genesis. Okay, this didn't just happen. This didn't just happen. Back in the book of Genesis in chapter number 3 and in verse number 15, the Bible says, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Okay, way back, way back, God had already promised the Messiah. God had already promised the Savior. You know, people often say, well, how do you know that? Because the Bible, everything is about Christ. Everything in the Old Testament points to Christ. Don't let people confuse you or say, well, what exactly does that mean? Listen, I'm not going to get into all of that other than to say that everything that happens happens for a reason, and it all points to Jesus Christ. One of the things I'm appreciating this year is um, I've had the opportunity to teach Bible class. Now, it's not like I had a lot of free time, but God has blessed it, honestly. Um, and we're, we're going through the story of the Old Testament and how the, 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 the lesson is laid out is it basically goes, it basically talks about a lot of different things, but it, it covers a lot of the covenants, the Abrahamic covenant, covenant with Noah and Abraham and Moses and so on and so forth. And one of the, the themes continually throughout each and every lesson is that everything that happens is leading up to Christ. Everything that happens points to the Savior. All throughout the lessons, everything is pointing to Jesus Christ. From Genesis all the way through the New Testament, it all talks about Jesus Christ. And, I, you know, it's great. I love teaching Sunday school. I love teaching classes because it's one of those things that you know these things, 
But when you read it and study it again, it's like, man, it's refreshing. It's exciting. It's like new all over again. Because you know what? God had a plan right from the beginning. That's the thing that kind of jumped out at me. You know, we can't forget that no matter what's happening in this world, no matter how things may seem like they're falling apart, we still have hope in Christ. Because God knew from the very beginning exactly what he was going to do. And when you start reading through the Old Testament, always read the Old Testament in light of, hey, this is pointing to Jesus Christ. Everything is pointing towards Christ. You get in, in, in Genesis and you see that, that it talks about in the Abrahamic covenant about that. Then you get to the place in Genesis 3.15 where it talks about, then you get to Exodus and talk about the Passover, a type or a picture of what Christ would do for us. And on and on and on. You look at the life of Joseph. Same thing. Everything. You look at, there's so many similarities with what Joseph went through to what Christ went through. A picture or a type. Everything. And it's exciting. It's Why? Because we could, should never forget. Listen, God's not caught off guard. God is not caught by surprise. God is like, oh man, I didn't expect this. Let me fix things. No. God knew exactly what he was going to do. And when he sent Jesus to be born in that manger, salvation had come. If you read through, and we're not going to have time to do this, but in Luke chapter 3 and in Matthew chapter 1, it's assured through the genealogies. If you read through it, you know, a lot of times we just kind of, you know, when we're doing our Bible studies or when we're doing our Bible reading, we get to like the genealogies and we're like, oh. And in our mind we just, and we just, half the names we can't pronounce, right? But we go through it. But you know what? Everything in the Bible has a purpose. And if you read through those genealogies, everything was laid out exactly the way God had planned right up until the time of Christ. So it began in Genesis. It was assured through the genealogies, and then it was fulfilled in Christ. Everything that God had said, everything that he had promised, hundreds, 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 thousands of years. And then he was born. Our hope is in Jesus. The promise of the Savior, letter B, salvation is personal. Salvation is personal. It says, for unto you is born this day. Unto you. Salvation is a personal decision. John R. Rice said this, you can never truly enjoy Christmas until you look up into the Father's face and tell him you have received his Christmas gift. How do we truly enjoy Christmas? Listen, I, I don't know where everybody is spiritually today, but if you don't know Christ as your Savior, you can't truly experience the hope of Christmas until you've accepted Christ as your Savior. We can't do that for you. The church can't do that for you. We could pray for you, but not one single person can save anybody else. It's a personal decision. It's an individual decision. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10 and verse 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever. That's, a, that's, a, that's a, an offering to each and every person. Salvation is not limited to the 144,000 or to a select few, but salvation, when Jesus came, he came for all. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. Listen, if you're without Christ today, at the end of the service, please come speak to one of us. Because I can show you what the scriptures say. Any one of us can take the Bible and show you what the scriptures say so that you can know, you personally, are saved through Jesus Christ. Listen, there came a point in my life where I had to make a decision. My wife had to make a decision. 
I couldn't make a decision for her, and she couldn't make a decision for me. We prayed for each other. But you have to make that personal decision. It's a believing plea. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth and believe in thine heart. It's not just about a prayer. You know, um, I've had the opportunity over the years to, to be able to pray with people, to lead them to the Lord. And, and, and on several occasions, they'll say, I don't know what to say. And, and I say, listen, a prayer is not a rehearsed prayer. As a matter of fact, you know, the Bible says, no, it's, it, that's not what prayer is. Prayer is you speaking to God. It's you from your heart speaking to God. That's why it says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth and believe in thine heart. It's not just about the words we say, but it's actually believing what we're saying. Salvation is through faith. It's not a prayer. And we need to be careful that we're not, you know, I, I, it's always a funny thing. You know, I, I, we've been going in our Sunday school class and talking about, you know, what's the, and this isn't in the Bible, we know we're talking about the age of accountability for children. How do you know? And you don't want to force them into a prayer because they have to make the decision. But you do want to stir their heart with the things of God and tell them what salvation is and tell them what Jesus is so when they're ready, they can cry out to God. And listen, if you've ever had the opportunity to lead a child to the Lord, it's a blessed thing. Because guess what? They don't know theology 101. You know what they know? Jesus died for me, and I'm a sinner. Jesus, come into my heart and save me. And the Bible says that we need to come to Christ with childlike faith. Sometimes we come with, with all of our intelligence, but there's nothing here. And he says we need to confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts. And then let us see our Savior or salvation is in Christ alone. Harry Ironside said, Christ is a substitute for everything, but nothing is a substitute for Christ. Listen, Jesus took our place on that cross, but there isn't a single solitary person on the face of the earth that could take the place of Christ. There's no salvation in anybody else. There's no salvation in Buddha. There's no salvation in Dr. So-and-so or this one. There isn't. Salvation is in Christ and Christ alone. And there's too many uh, churches and religions today where man has taken the place that Christ rightfully has. And that's a dangerous place to be. You know, people often, somebody asked me over the last couple of weeks about something in the Bible and this, that, and the other thing. And I said, listen, that's not in the scriptures. Yeah, but I said, no. And I said, you don't want to be adding or taking away anything. I said, just go with what God says. And the Bible tells us that salvation is in Christ and Christ alone. Jesus said, no man cometh unto the Father, what? But by me. No man cometh unto the Father, but by me. In Acts chapter 4, it says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. The greatest gift that we could give someone this year is telling them about Christ. That's the greatest gift we can give them. And Christ alone. Now people, you know, listen, pastor has preached on this, and people will call you all kinds of names. You're unloving, you're a bigot, you're intolerant and so on and so forth, because you say Christ is the only way. And we don't need to get offended, because honestly, they don't know. 
They're looking at it from a worldly perspective. What we need to do is just say, hey, you know what? It's not what I'm saying. It's what God says. Let me show you. And show them. Show them in the Bible what it says. Because they need to know it's from God, not from us. Look over in Romans chapter 3. I was rereading these verses last night and again this morning. And they just, every time I read them, they just become more powerful each and every time. Romans chapter 3 and in verse number 21. It says, But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is, here it is, by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Anybody who says that salvation is just for a select few, just take them to that verse. Because it says, it is unto all and upon all who believe. Because he says there is no difference because all of us are sinners. Verse 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom, Christ, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Salvation is in Christ alone. In Romans, turn over a page to Romans chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 6, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die, but God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Listen, salvation is one way, through Christ, by faith. For by grace are ye saved through faith. That's what the Bible tells us. So salvation, we have a lot. Listen, I came from, from a Catholic background, and everything that I was taught was really about one thing, works. It was about doing, which ultimately is earning my way to heaven. Well, there's not a single person who can earn their way to heaven. It's strictly by the grace of God. None of us is righteous. Now, we may think we're righteous in our own eyes, but the reality of it is the Bible says that all our righteousness are what? is filthy rags. So the decision comes down to, well, do we believe that Christ is the only way to salvation? And if we do, what's stopping us from trusting him today? Listen, you could receive the greatest gift that you will ever receive. I've gotten a lot of nice gifts over the years, but none greater than the gift of salvation. That's a gift that is for all eternity. When the things of this world pass away, when all the things that we own all burn up and everything is gone... You still have Christ. And that never goes away. A.W. Tozer said this, Jesus is not one of many ways to approach God, nor is he the best of several ways. He is the only way. There, there are some religions where they have multitudes of gods, and they'll freely say, oh, we'll trust in Jesus Christ because they want to fit him into all, into their, all these other gods that they believe in. He's not one of many. He is the only God. And the last point is this. 
the transformation of the shepherds. You know, the shepherds are not often spoken of a lot when you read this. Here, there, you know, you talk about them. We have some hymns and, and things like that. But not often do we look at their role, if you will, in this story. But I, I, as I was reading through this, I saw a couple of things, and there was a, almost a transformation that took place with them. Look in verse number, uh, let's see, uh, 8. And the, in Luke in the chapter 2, And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, listen, it was a thankless job. It wasn't a glorious job by any stretch of the imagination. Um, oftentimes, you know, they... Some, in some um, areas of, of, of tradition, they consider it almost a dirty job to do. But they did it. And here are these shepherds in the field by night, basically nothing much going on, doing what they do every single night. And something was about to change. Their lives would never be the same. But here they are. They're sitting on this field, maybe up on this hill. It's dark. It's night. It wasn't like they had city lights of all about them. Maybe they had a campfire going. Who knows? And look what it says in verse 9. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. The first thing I see is they went from fear to reassured. It says, the glory of the Lord shone round about them. That word glory is the word, Greek word, doxa, which is, it basically means majesty, magnificence, splendor, or brilliance. So when the glory of the Lord shone around, this was not a candlestick. This was not a spotlight. This was majestic brilliance that came down upon them. And the Bible says they were sore afraid. That phrase, sore afraid, means they were, they feared with a great fear. In other words, they were terrified. But that would quickly change. In verse number 10, And the angel said unto them, Fear not. Fear not. Now, listen, just as an aside, when we're going through things in life and, and things seem like they're falling apart, you know, it only takes a word from the Lord, or two in this case, and everything's all right. When Jesus said, peace be still, the wave stopped. The storm stopped. He says, fear not. Fear not. And sometimes we turn to a lot of other things when really all we need to turn to is God. God can give us peace that passes all understanding. They were terrified. They feared with a great fear. And the next thing the angel said is, fear not. Fear not. Why? For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Now, he doesn't say joy. He says great joy. Great joy. I, and, and that word good tidings is the same Greek word that's used, that we use for evangelizing. Telling people, when we use the word for being, you know, evangelizing the world. It's the same. They're bringing good news. As a matter of fact, they're bringing good news of great joy. They went from being fearful to being reassured. 
The second thing is they went from being reassured to being observers. The next thing that happens, look what it says in verse 12. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, they're standing and they're watching all this. And here the multitude comes down praising and giving glory to God for what was about to happen. They just stood there. I can't even imagine. Awe. As they were observing everything that was taking place. They were observing everything that was taking place. So they went from being reassured to being observers. But now look what happens. They go from being observers to heralders. And it came to pass in verse 15, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. Let us now. Listen, when God meets with you and God puts something on your heart, do it now. Look at the next verse. And they came with haste. You know, they didn't, they didn't dilly-dally. They didn't, you know, uh, uh, procrastinate. They were terrified. God said, fear not. And then they told them, listen, we bring you glad tidings of great joy. And they said, let us go now. Let us now go even unto Bethlehem. Charles Spurgeon said this, and when the Lord Jesus has become your peace, remember there is another thing, goodwill towards men. Do not try to keep Christmas without goodwill towards men. I thought this was a great quote. How can you show goodwill? Listen, showing goodwill towards men is a good thing, but what is the greatest way that we can show goodwill towards men? Tell them about Christ. We have opportunities. We have opportunities over the next three weeks to tell people about Jesus Christ. In verse 17, it says, And when they had seen it, when they saw the babe lying in a manger, which the angel had already told them that would be the sign, and when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning the child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. When they saw what the angel had told them, you know what they did? They told it abroad. They told everyone they could. And that's what we need to do. Listen, when we leave here, grab a track and tell somebody, hey, do you know... Do you know about Jesus Christ? That's why we celebrate Christmas. You have a lot of open doors, a lot of opportunities. Somebody says Merry Christmas. Hey, you know, I'm glad you said that. Do you know what Christmas is about? And give them a track. Heralding the good news. There was an urgency. They said, now, let us now go. They made haste. They did not waste any time. We need to not waste any more time. There's a lost and dying world that every day is plunging into the pits of eternal darkness because they don't have Christ. But we have the answer, and it's Jesus Christ. And finally, they went from heralders to rejoicing. Look at the last verse of chapter 2. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. Listen, when they were done, after sitting on that hilltop in basically utter darkness just doing what they do every single night, watching over the sheep, by the time that night was done, they were jumping for joy at what they had seen and what they had heard. And may that be our heart today. 
that we would be, when we read that story, do we rejoice and praise God for all the things that we've heard? We should. Because without Jesus coming as that baby, we have no hope. Without Christ, we have nothing. Without Christ, we are nothing. But in Christ, we have all things. I read this and then we'll be done. If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, he would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness, so God sent us a savior. And let's never, ever forget that the reason we celebrate Christmas is because God sent us a Savior. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that we can celebrate the birth of Christ, Lord, and everything that it means. Lord, when we think of all the prophecies that were fulfilled and all that took place that night, Lord, and the, the, the shepherds and their transformation, Lord, they were just ecstatic, leaping for joy at what they had seen. Lord, may that be our hearts. May our hearts be stirred with joy this Christmas season as we celebrate the birth of Christ, as we tell others. Lord, may we be excited to have opportunities to share the good news of what Christmas really means. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, let's stand. We're going to sing a song of invitation. Turn your eyes upon Jesus.